welcome in to another edition of the All Things Bama podcast, the first game preview of 2021 edition. Tyler Martin is your host. I'm here with John Garcia, Jr., Sports Illustrated All-American, recruiting analyst, college football expert, uh, guru of the game, whatever you want to call him. He is here with me today to dive into Alabama-Miami and a couple other key games uh, as college football really gets underway. And, John, when you look at the slate, man, golly, it's a whole heck of a lot better than, you know, the unofficial kickoff last week when we had to suffer through Nebraska, Illinois, and that crapshoot, and then UCLA, Hawaii. I was glad football is back, man. But when you look at this weekend, it's just, oh, my gosh, this is the main course right here. Yeah, Tyler, last week felt like uh... – an appetizer it's just kind of a mediocre one it's kind of like when you get the bread at a restaurant the butter's okay you know you don't even order the real appetizer like you're not getting the you know shrimp skewers or anything like that but now we've got the steak right we, we've got the medium steak from a good steakhouse uh and it's it's coming out with a bang not only alabama miami of course clemson georgia is going to be um a real tone setter uh, sec versus acc uh, playoff implications, the whole thing. I mean, I think, you know, until the playoff expands, these big early season marquee matchups, you know, we'll get Ohio State, Oregon in week two, are really important to December and January. Um, so as long as we still have that in college football, I'm going to get excited about it, uh, especially when it's about the return of the game to, to what we know, right? Fans in the stands, tailgating, the pageantry, uh, kind of the normal fun of the game. So uh, definitely feeling blessed that we made it to this point. Yeah, 100%. And, and starting off with Alabama and Miami, you know, the all the talk in, in fall camp for Alabama has been, you know, kind of this new look offense, right? Bryce Young's leading the way. There's new weapons. Uh, you know, you go you go look at the receiver position. Jamison Williams made a lot of noise. He's a, he's a starter now on that uh, as the number two wide receiver alongside John Mechie. JoJo Earl has made a lot of noise in fall camp, and he's listed as a co-starter. And, and me and Joey Blackwell talked about that earlier in the week on the first uh, show of this past week. But um, really, you look into it, too. That was a big storyline. And then the defense, right? Alabama's defense, getting back, returning eight, nine starters, getting back to that level, right, where that's the Alabama standard. And now you're matching up against a Miami team, and you're going against a quarterback in De'Aaron King who – John, Alabama definitely – I mean, there is a narrative around – okay, in years past, the dual-threat quarterback has been an issue, right? And honestly, uh, if you go look at just opening games, right, um, this is really the last kind of – the last year of this 10-year run that Alabama's had where they've had these big neutral side openers. This is the best quarterback, I think, of all those openers that they face. I, I mean, I think going into the Florida State game in 2017, you might have looked at – DeAndre Francois is maybe potentially as that best quarterback they faced. But I think Derek King is that really in terms of just on a neutral side, this is the best single car they face. And that's too because of his explosiveness and, and he, can, he can make the throws in the pocket. He can scramble. He can extend plays. But two, this is his sixth year of college football. Kind of crazy to wrap your head around that a little bit. Uh, but Miami, you know, they're also returning a lot on defense too. So let's start with the matchup with Alabama's defense and De'Aaron King in the Miami offense. Very good point by you on the quarterback play, not only the experience, but the athleticism, the overall talent. I mean, De'Aaron King as a runner, as a passer with that experience, probably the best quarterback Alabama will face in, in 2021 before, you know, any type of playoff play 
uh, or anything like that. So I, I think that's where the conversation begins. But really that entire backfield at Miami, I think is the strength of the entire team. Uh, you, you've got uh, Cameron Harris, who's a big physical power runner, very SEC style running back. And they switch it up with their thunder and lightning. The lightning is Jalen Knight, a kid from South Florida, uh, who was an FSU commit back in high school, very dynamic third down kind of guy, slasher type. Uh, it's kind of like when Bama had Derrick Henry and, and Kenyon Drake, not the same level, but the, the same kind of style. But you throw in a truly dynamic running quarterback, and now all of a sudden your run keys, the discipline, how the linemen are coming off of the football, all the little things matter just a little bit more when you face an attack like that. And Miami upgraded on the outside as well. Their young receivers are a little bit older. And now all of a sudden you bring in a transfer receiver of their own and Charleston Rambo, who's probably the best vertical threat Miami's had in a couple of years coming over from, uh, I believe, Oklahoma. So this Miami offense from a skill position perspective is something for Bama fans to worry about. But as you mentioned, Tyler, that Alabama defense will be more classic Alabama defense in terms of dominance, in terms of size, experience, and it really starts up front. And I think that's the biggest advantage in this game is Alabama's defensive line against Miami's offensive line. Now, a lot of Miami sites and pundits have really focused on the experience for that group. And yes, that Miami offensive line was Two years ago, maybe that one of the youngest in, in college football, and they've kind of taken their lumps, but the talent wasn't necessarily there from the beginning. So you can have experience, but if the talent size and technique isn't there altogether, it kind of doesn't matter if you've played 35 games to this point, especially when you're going against that Alabama front and the pass rushers that the Crimson Tide will trot out there in trying to slow down De'Eric King. So I think that's a huge advantage for Alabama. I think everywhere else, there's some question marks in the matchup. Again, that Miami backfield uh, will dictate the pace. Um, but you also have to wonder how healthy can King really be? Um, I think because of, of his reputation, because of what he's done, and he's done a ton. I mean, this is one of the more accomplished quarterbacks over the last decade. Uh, he's got a ton of yards and touchdowns to his name at two pretty big time programs but he's coming off of that ACL less than what, eight months ago. Yeah. So I, I think there's something to be said for that. Manny Diaz has been around multiple programs. Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator has been around multiple big time programs, including Auburn, of course, how much risk are you going to throw at King against an Alabama when the whole ACC schedule is in front of you in a year where after Clemson, Clemson in the ACC, it's kind of North Carolina. I mean, it's Miami right there at, at number three. So if you've got a shot to get to Charlotte for that title game, how much risk are you going to throw at King in a non-league game against a team like Alabama game one? Because if there's a game to lose for any of these teams we're talking about, it's this weekend. Lose early and just kind of slowly make up ground in the polls until it matters late in, in the season. So I'm curious about the mental with King and the relationship between his availability and the coaches, Manny Diaz, the head coach, Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator. That's something I haven't seen nearly enough coverage on. Yeah. Rhett Lashley's familiarity with Alabama, I, I think it's a big deal. Um, I think, you know, he's been a part when he was at Auburn of some big wins against Alabama. Uh, you know, and, and you, you've got to have someone on your staff who is familiar with going up against Nick Saban. Now Manny Diaz, you know, 
not, I mean, last year was a great year, right? Getting back on track. But when you, when they've been, when Manny Diaz has been in the big games, I look at last year against Clemson, last year against North Carolina, uh, this Miami team just didn't deliver. And he didn't deliver um, what it looked like from his perspective either. And so in big games, you know, there's already kind of a knock against Manny Diaz. Um, but a win, oh my gosh, if Miami was somehow able to able to pull this off and Derek King is able to, you know, to pull some Johnny Manziel-esque kind of performance against Alabama, then you know the footprint down there in South Florida, man. Uh, this would really be an, a feather in their cap of, okay, the U is finally back. There is no doubt about it. Um, I'm actually down in Miami right now. <laughs> I've got family down here. So just hearing the local chatter over the, even the last 24 hours, there's kind of this sense of, staying in the game is like this positivity and like moral victory, which is so weird for me growing up down here where it's like, when I was a kid, the mentality was what Alabama fans are dealing with right now. It was like national title or bust with the teams in the late nineties into the two thousands. And, and they had as much talent uh, or more than, than any sort of dominant dynasty we've seen in the last 50 years of college football. So to hear this kind of morality, like, Hey, if we hang with Bama, it's going to be a great year and, and we should commend the coaches. So if that's the mentality, a win would literally feel down here like a national title in Coral Gables. It will feel like the most galvanizing moment for Miami football since that bogus pass interference call against Ohio state back in uh, what was that? Oh, two. Yeah. So you're talking 19 years. That would be the biggest moment in 19 years for one of the most storied programs in college football. So for anyone saying the regular season doesn't mean anything, for anyone saying these neutral cross-conference games don't mean anything, think about that. One of the most storied programs in college football history contending would satisfy the entire fan base and a win would rival a national title. That's how big this is for Miami. There's some bravado, there's some swag with these fans and the, the perception of the program right now. Uh, so until kickoff, expect some brashness there. The confidence level is growing to contend and be in the game. So there's no doubt if they can pull it off, this would be, uh, you know, I think the, the police force would be alerted because there, there might be something going down in the streets. I think yeah. it's, it would be that big down here. An another unique storyline that I wish kind of got more coverage in this is kind of the recruiting angle. And, and you're obviously the, the recruiting expert at SIL American. Um, with this, you know, you look at it with Alabama, the dynasty they've built, they've done it largely in part due to Miami guys, right? You look at Amari Cooper, Jerry Judy, Calvin Ridley, uh, Jordan Battle, namely on the team right now. I'm thinking of guys on the team currently. Uh, Josh you know, Job. Yeah, Josh Job, guys like that. Um, and then, you know, if Miami is able to be competitive, they can kind of turn around. And Manny Diaz has been able to recruit. Uh, he did it, you know, he's done it better so far than Mark Rick or Al Golden or, you know, guys previously. Um, so he's been able to turn that around to some extent. But the fact that Alabama's really built, uh, you know, a kind of a fence around Miami and said, you know, this is our territory. This is kind of also an area where it's like, okay, you're on national television. You've got an opportunity to big game because last year I mentioned earlier, they got shellacked against Clemson. They didn't work competitive against North Carolina. This is a moment where you can sit here and say is, okay, even if we lose and we're competitive, you can go and tell recruits, hey, we're almost there. Because when you look on the horizon of playoff expansion, you say, okay, 
where you know if you have the year that you expect to have which i think they're going to be better than north carolina this year i've got them you know playing clemson in that acc title game um because i think north carolina just lost too many weapons okay you can sit there and say okay we can go 10 and 2 you know lose to an alabama and a close one and then that will probably that will get you on the right track on the recruiting trail as well there's no doubt about it these kids tyler they haven't seen that that miami team i was referring to in, in the early 2000s, these kids weren't alive. <laughs> or if they were, they were, you know, pre-walking and talking children. So they don't, they don't feel that. They don't know. Uh, they haven't seen the Edron James, Ray Lewis, Reggie Wayne, Clinton Portis, all the tight ends. They, they didn't live that. Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, they didn't live that. They, they've only seen that 30 for 30. And, and watch it on YouTube, which is still, it's still important. It's still something that Miami can and has always sold, but it's different when you live it. And right now, these kids are living that with Alabama. Um, you, you talk to a kid from the best programs in Miami, let's take St. Thomas Aquinas, where Bama, you know, got Jordan Battle. You mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Dallas Turner was an SI-99, maybe the best pass rusher in America last year, uh, or one of them. You know, he's a Miami kid. Those kids talk about Alabama like they're in this stratosphere alone, and then it's kind of everybody else, including the school that is, you know, 20, 30 minutes drive from where they grew up. They, they just didn't experience what you and I did when we were younger. So it's not the same vibe. It's the same reason why Nebraska fans are frustrated. Tennessee fans are frustrated because these kids didn't grow up in the era where those programs were dominant. So why would they treat them that way? Why would they honor that offer the same way as they would honor an Alabama, a Clemson, an Ohio State offer? All programs that have won national titles over the last seven years. So um, it's it's really that simple. Sometimes you, you, the whole you've got to see it to believe it. These kids hadn't seen it, so the, the only way they're going to believe it is is through multimedia. But you might as well trot out minnesota going i think they went back to back to back like in the black and white tv days i mean <laughs> that could that might as well be the same thing to to these kids um and yeah. that's how far removed they are from miami's dominance so any move in that direction would be big in the most fertile recruiting area in the country which is south florida yeah and another thing is too another thing i should mention you know this is the first meeting between these two since the 93 sugar bowl that won alabama the 92 national championship um, so it, it's been far too long since these two have met on the gridiron, definitely. Um, and then kind of going back to the matchups, defensively, I don't know if Miami, you know, even with a lot of unknowns for Alabama's offense, like, yes, Bryce Young was the number one player coming out of high school. Uh, you know, SL American rated in the number one player. Uh, you know, so many other services ranked in the number one player. There's so much hype around him. There's a new play caller in Bill O'Brien. Uh, there's new weapons I mentioned on offense with Jamison Williams, JoJo Earl, Ajay Hall. There's three new offensive linemen. Um, and you look at even, even, even all that together, I don't know if at the middle or at the middle of the defense and at the up front, if Miami can still compete with the depth that Alabama has. But I do think where, where Miami can kind of maybe pull a little bit and get some kind of advantage is in their secondary, right? I think the secondary is maybe the strength of their defense. Guys like Bubba Bolden. Um, the Georgia transfer, Stevenson coming over. Um, so, I, so I think George. I mean, I think Miami has got to kind of rely on its back end and, and maybe, you know, and just kind of maybe confuse Bryce Young and this Alabama offense here making his first start. Well, that's what you hope for if you're a Miami fan. Um, and, and hoping versus seeing, I think, are going to be two different things. 
in this game because two, two things, well, really three things. One, Bryce Young isn't your conventional, I went to college, I sat a year, and now the ball's in my hands. This is a kid who mentally is as advanced as I've ever scouted at that position. You know, he was calling the majority of modern day's plays as a senior. He was the guy as an underclassman who beat IMG as modern day's quarterback. And that offense, which, you know, insert offensive coordinator, had a lot of similarities to the Steve Sarkeesian offense, which had a lot of similarities to the Lane Kiffin offense and Dable and Loxley. So you get what I'm saying here. This is not your normal quarterback mentally. Physically, Bryce has all the things you want in a modern quarterback. He's smart. He's athletic. He's mobile. The arm is huge. He's willing to take risks, push the ball down the field, makes very, very good decisions and plays accurate football inside the pocket or out. All those boxes are checked and then some. There's continuity with the system. And that system does not change as much as the personnel would make you think it does under Nick Saban. Nick says it every year. He's like, well, yeah, we're excited about insert offensive coordinator, but our system hasn't really changed very much. I think once it was revamped by Lane Kiffin, it kind of stayed in that channel, in that lane, in that category. If you were surfing on, on Netflix, looking for that type of offense, it always hovered under that Lane Kiffin umbrella. And it still does, which is why Ole Miss every year seems to give Alabama the most problems within the SEC story for another day. So, so that's two. Three, the supporting cast. You mentioned the, the shuffle on the offensive line. All those new players expected to step up, maybe outside of JV and Cohen, have considerable experience, uh, including Evan Neal moving out uh, to left tackle. He will be the, the number one offensive lineman taken in the NFL draft. The backfield, considerable experience around Bryce, including Brian Robinson, who's uh, going on year five in the program. Uh, he'll be the bell cow, and there's a bevy of talent behind him. And then you go to the wide receiver room, and I think that is, is where you hit on earlier. That's the key. In terms of reliability, remember, it's 2021. It's a modern system. It's not run the football to protect the young kid. It's actually easy rhythm throws to protect the young kid, bubble screens, jets, quick pops over the middle, and they've got the personnel to do that with a balanced wide receiver core, despite the lack of familiarity nationally with Mechie and Williams and the rest of those guys. Yes, some freshmen will have to step up, but Slay Bolden has been there, done that. Jamison Williams has been there, done that in college football, and obviously John Mechie has been there, done that. I think every other program not named Ohio State in this country would take Alabama's receiver core right now. And that's being viewed as a weakness uh, externally. That's how good Alabama has been recruiting. That's how well this system and how well oiled this system is. I mean, it's just like, at what point are we going to just give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the transition? Um, every single year, they're losing a ton of first rounders. They're losing a ton of coaches. They're replacing the quarterback. Remember when people were, were low on Alabama this time last year, because Mac Jones wasn't a heralded recruit. How'd that work out? So let's not make the same mistakes we did. I mean, it's like, it's, like a, it's like we're coaching. Let's not make the same mistakes we did at this time last year, questioning the personnel and decisions that Nick Saban have put in place. It don't mean it'll be perfect. It doesn't mean it's going to be 50 to zero, but I just don't think this is the conventional you know, transition of power where it's like, hey, you better beat Bama now because it's a down year. I, I don't think a down year exists 
with this program. And you know, Tyler, some Bama fans will tell you the most talented and best Bama teams weren't necessarily the national title winning teams. No, they'll argue that to, to, to the grave. So just keep that in mind. There hasn't been a down year at Alabama. Um, yeah, if, if they don't win the national title, it might be perceived as down, but all that transition we talk about stays the same, whether it's the first round, whether it's the quarterback, whether it's coaches coming in and out, that all stays the same, and it's for a very clear reason. And a guy you didn't even mention who a lot were kind of thinking he could be the best tight end in America is Jaleel Billingsley. And a guy who a lot of people in Tuscaloosa are really hoping he gets out of the doghouse. Uh, I'm going to make this comment again. I made it two days ago on our show. Nick Saban sent a message when he put Cameron Law to then Major Tennyson or Jaleel Billingsley. It wasn't Jaleel Billingsley or Major Tennyson. It was Major Tennyson or Jaleel Billingsley. That's a message right there. And, and, and at the end of the day, how much of Jaleel Billingsley we see in this game is up in the air. But I think I, – I already tell you, this game I think is going to be competitive into the third quarter because I think that number on it, I think it's up to 19 and a half right now. I think that's way too high. Uh, for a Miami team that's returning literally, I think, all but two or three starters. Um, so, it, to me, it, 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 and also that what all of them's got to replace, it's a lot. And Nick Saban, yes, they win openers. But if you go back and look at um, just pick and choose different years, I mean, there, there's, there's got to be some kinks you got to work out. But for Jilla Billingsley, you know, I think he's going to catch, you know, at the end of the day, I think he's going to get it in the second half and get some opportunities. I can see him, you know, getting four catches. 40 yards, 50 yards, somewhere in that range. I think that's what we're going to see from Jaleel. Um, but he's a guy, man, if, if Alabama really wants to kind of unlock the uh, really similar success that they had last year towards that back end, you know, he's got to start making the right choices. And Saban's talked about that all this week. Um, but he's a guy in this game, when you look at Miami's strength on the defense being the secondary, well, you've got a mismatch nightmare in Jaleel Billingsley, who if things get testy in the second half, you can kind of throw out there, and then, you know, then you've got to worry about the speedsters and the size now with Jaleel Billingsley. And I think, like you said, the strength of this Miami defense is the secondary when it comes to size, experience, and probably talent, right? You know, Al Blaze is listed as a reserve corner coming off of injury. I think he gets back into the mix. Um, you mentioned Stevenson. I think uh, Avante Williams is a guy who eventually cracks that rotation. He's a big-time recruit. From a couple of years ago, uh, I love to Corey Couch, the corner they have. So that's definitely the strength of defense. Linebackers are fine. It's That D-line is talented, but so, so young. They lost uh, re really their bookend last year. And Jalen Phillips, who's a first rounder to the Miami Dolphins, um, as well as the transfer from Temple, Quincy Roche. So if you're talking about confusing Bryce Young in coverage, that's one thing. And maybe Bama can figure that out, right? Maybe after the early lumps. Bama can figure out the coverage complexities Miami throws out there. But obviously, the quickest and most physical way to disrupt a young quarterback is in front of him with the defensive line. And that's just the group with the youth. Greg Rousseau is another guy they lost, another first-rounder. Uh, with the youth up front for Miami and, and Alabama reshuffling their offense, offensive line despite the experience there, that's where I think Miami has to step up. Um, I, I think – that backfield for them on offense will be good. Their defensive backfield will be good. But if Miami's going to contend into the second half, as you said, that's the position unit, that Miami front that has to play a little bit above, we'll call it their pay grade, a little bit above the expectation. Because not only do you have to contend with this Alabama backfield that will run the football with multiple backs, 
but you have to contend with uh, Bryce Young and his mobility. And, and I think, again, when you talk about easy throws, what do you do? It's the quick hitters, but also pushing the pocket, designed rollouts, half rollouts, where you're giving him half the field to read instead of the entire field. All of those little things might be easy to kind of point at the secondary and say, oh, why'd you give up that 15-yard dig? Well, if it's a half roll designed that way and there's no pressure, now all of a sudden Bryce Young has an extra second and a half to read. I don't care how good the secondary is. You know, Bama's talent is Bama's talent. So um, the defensive line, it's really on them to put pressure on Bryce Young as a passer, uh, just as much as we expect them to mix it up in coverage. So I think they've got to do both to contend for all four quarters. And, and I don't see that defensive line getting pressure on Bryce without bringing extra guys. And you all, we all know the more guys you bring, the more one-on-one matchups Alabama's going to have in the passing game. And that's where I think the game could start to, to see some true separation. Yeah, you know, I, like I said, midway through the third quarter, um, it, it honestly, too, I mean, it could flip, you know, with, with the sacks, you know, Deere, I mean, Will Anderson gets around one of their tackles and, and gets to De'Aaron King, right, ruffles him. I mean, I, I really do think – I mean, this, this game will turn in the second half because I think Miami's got too much just talent on that team to really not show up and be prepared and be ready to go for at least the first 30 minutes. That's why, like, I already said kind of my pick against the spread. I'm like, okay, Miami plus 19 and a half, I think is a really good play. You know, I, I have to put it on a score prediction. I think I'm going to have, you know, Alabama 38, Miami 21, Miami 24. I think Alabama wins this game with more than two touchdowns. Um, but I think they're going to kind of teeter that fine line uh, between two and three. Well, then here's, here's where my question comes for you is, okay, Bama's up, let's say, 14 points with eight minutes left. Bryce Young's first career start. Are you, are you ever taking your foot off the gas? Or because of Alabama's heavy early season schedule, are you utilizing every single possible rep you can with, with live bullets with Bryce to where, where that kind of insurance – Las Vegas kind of touchdown really, yeah. really starts to make things interesting. And, and that's, you know, it's a very valid question this time around last year with Mac Jones. Absolutely not. You shut it down, you run the ball and you have one of those Alabama drives where it's like 11 minutes long and you've ran the ball, you know, 17 times getting five yards yeah. a pop and the offensive line is celebrating after each one of those reps. Um, I, I think you do that with Mac Jones. I, I'm not sure you do that with Bryce Young. So I could see a late score, that, that really swings things in Vegas. But, you know, they know what they're doing with these spreads. And I'm like you. I mean, it's a point or two in one direction versus the other really changes the entire projection. I could kind of see it going either way. Uh, but but obviously, anytime there's a, a marquee opponent and the spread is close to 20, you're, you're always going to kind of say, all right, well, this is, yeah. this is a big number. It's going to come down. Well, it hasn't really come down. It's and we're, it's in yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're a couple days away from kick. So um, I think, I think that's going to be quite intriguing. There's going to be a lot of people tuning into that game beyond finding out who's going to win or not. The under actually might be the play in that game. You know, it's un, over under sitting at about 62, 62 and a half at some places. Um, but, you know, like into the Alabama defense has been so hyped up, right? They keep saying a lot of Alabama fans think it could be as good as 2016. And we all remember, man, in 2016, that opener against USC that was so hyped up. What did they, I mean? That they won 52 to three. 
I mean, and that, that, and that was changing quarterbacks. They won six. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Blake Barnett started that game and they throw Jalen Hurts out there. But that defense really was, I mean, uh, you know, with Marlon Humphrey, they had Jonathan Allen, they had some guys on that team. You know, I mean, this defense, I mean, you look at the talent level of this 2021 team, I, I'm really excited to see some young guys like Tim Smith. I'm ready to see what Kool Aid can do. Uh, you know, he's going to be behind Jalen Armour Davis to start this season, but I'm excited to see what he brings. I think Dallas Turner, you mentioned him earlier. He's a guy who I think is going to have a, he's going to have a rotational spot in some form or fashion because they have so many great linebackers. You're just not able to keep him off the field. You know, Chris Braswell as well, another guy who really shined in spring camp and, and shined in A-Day as well. Uh, but when, I, when you think of Henry Toa Toa in the middle, Christian Harris, Jalen Moody, I, I mean, it's just – it's going to be hard to find weaknesses in the Alabama defense for Derrick King. But, hey, he's got the experience. Um, we will see what happens. And then, two. On the offensive line, you know, Kendall Randolph's going to start at right tackle for Alabama. And I've, I've said this again numerous times, John. You know, J.C. Latham is a guy who I think by, you know, maybe by week three in Gainesville, because you mentioned will, will Alabama get those reps late in the game if they're up? I, I think they will because I still think they're in the process of finding their best five guys. Kendall Randolph's never been a guy who's been consistent. He's never been a guy who you can trot out there and have the most confidence in. So that's why I think J.C. Latham or Damian George can really step up and lock down that right tackle position. Um, so then, you know, if you have J.C. Latham out there and your two bookend tackles are the two IMG products and Evan Neal and J.C. Latham, and you've got the, you, you hit that stride going into Gainesville in week three, you're looking pretty solid. It's a very good point. You know, we see a lot of uh, fluctuation with Alabama on the offensive line always, right? It's kind of like a progression. I remember Jonah Williams starting at uh, right tackle, shifting over to left. Then we saw Alex Leatherwood do it. Now uh, Evan Neal is going to do it. But there's also shuffle elsewhere positionally. Uh, and I think Randolph has had about as much shuffle as any. We've seen him at guard. We've seen him at tight end, <laughs> like a wing blocker. He's a and cool now, player. yeah, and now a right tackle. But I think the biggest difference between him and both Latham and Damian George is just the true measurable physicality. Kendall Randolph is a good-sized kid. You know, I don't know what he's listed at, but he's probably in the 6'4", 6'5", range, uh, well over 300 pounds, but doesn't carry it the same way that Damian George, or, or certainly not the way J.C. Latham does. J.C. Latham carries 300-plus pounds about as well as any human on earth. Um, so I think that there's just a different skill set there. Uh, Latham's length and his natural strength will, will probably be the best uh, for all those guys, but George is with and leverage probably the most uh, important in the run game between the three. So Randolph is kind of like second best across the board among the three. So you just wonder talent wise when that will, will start to flip itself, but it is important to have a guy like Randolph on that offensive line who can play multiple positions because every year uh, that comes to fruition at some point, because Alabama always just tries to get their best five on the field. So if all things are even, the guy who can play more than one spot's probably going to get the nod. And I think that's probably the best thing Randolph has going for him in addition to his overall, uh, you know, experience and, and time in the program. But yeah, there's still some question marks to be had. So again, that's why that spread scares me because I'm like, I can really see Bama trying to figure this thing out going full speed up 16 with, with six minutes to go where any other year with Tua with Hertz, with Mac at, at quarterback, at, you just don't, you wouldn't see it. You would see handoff, handoff, handoff. So uh, I'm very curious to see that. And I think there's still a lot to be said for the running back two spot. Uh, Trey Sanders is back. Roydell Williams 
flash like crazy uh, last year. So we know Brian Robinson's RB1 for now, but what about the, the rest of, of that conversation? You know, Jace McClellan's got true juice. So um, I'm really curious to see how that gets figured out as well, because you those guys, <clears throat> excuse me, today, they know I might get three or four carries in this game. So what does that mean? Every carry is going to be, you know what, to the wall. Let's go earn a spot. Um, and, and that's what the Alabama competitiveness creates throughout fall camp. So, again, that, that Vegas line is going to be the biggest story in the fourth quarter of this game. Yeah, and before we, before we just barely touch on the other games real quick. Um, so, yeah, you said, you said it kind of worries you either way. Um, do, do you have a score predict? Do you have a score prediction? And who, who is going to be your MVP of this game? That's a great question. Um, I'm probably close to you. I think Bama's in the high 30s. I, I have a hard time. If, if King is limited either physically or by his coaches, I have a hard time seeing Miami threaten the 30-point mark. So I'm somewhere in the 38-17 range in this game. I could see it being a three-score game, again, because of a lot of what I just referenced, and Bama still, you know, there's no preseason in college football. So Bama, if they have an opportunity to use it, I, I believe they will, um, especially on a neutral field, indoors. It just allows you to do more things. I think all of those things are big factors. In terms of an MVP for, for this game, I just think that Miami defensive line is a little bit suspect today by season's end and going into next year. I think it'll be maybe the strength of their team, but game one against Bama and that offensive line, I could really see Brian Robinson getting the kind of feel good reward for, for being the, being kind of the Mac Jones of the running backs, right? He comes in with Najee Harris, like Mac did with Tua. He, he gets some burn, but really waits his turn. And every time he got the ball, you're like, okay, like, you don't want anything to happen to Najee. You're like, hey, you know, Bama's in good shape with this bigger downhill style. So I kind of think he, he could have a 175-yard kind of game week one because of Bryce Young's youth and because of Miami's inexperience up front. I think you run left side behind Evan Neal, uh, which will be any comfort for any running back. I think I could average four yards a carry behind Evan Neal. So I, I'm – I'm going Brian Robinson, the super senior who starts to get his due Tuscaloosa kid. I mean, the story writes itself with him. Yeah, no, it, this is why you stick around, right? And this is why you fend off that, that talented stable of running backs because you're going to be, I mean, here's the thing. He might not be out there for many third and longs because, you know, he still needs to work on his pass catching ability if he wants to succeed at the next level. But let me tell you, he's going to get you in third and short situations because on first and second down, he's going to put you in a great position um, to, to really move the chains. I'm going to go Jamison Williams. You know, I, I think between him and Toa Toa, I think in this, this for the newcomers, this first game, I think J, Jamison Williams is just going to have kind of some wild plays and kind of show people that track speed, um, that ability to separate. I'll go Jamison Williams somewhere, you know, in the range of, you know, five, six catches, 90 yards and a TD. Um, you know, I think Jamison Williams is really going to uh, put his skills on display and really show – you know, you know what, what the what, what Ohio State and what some other schools are missing um, with him. Some other big SEC games uh, or games involving SEC teams. I want to start with LSU UCLA. John, we saw UCLA last week. Now they looked really darn good against Hawaii. 
Um, Chip Kelly seems like he finally has this thing going in the right direction. He's got his guys in there. They're running the ball really well for a Chip Kelly team. Um, but now LSU's coming into town. LSU, you know, we want to send our thoughts and prayers to the people dealing with Hurricane Ida and the and New Orleans and the Baton Rouge area. And, you know, they've been, they've been kind of sheltered in place in Houston. And so for a first week of the year, for a lot of guys who may, may maybe not have dealt with that on this team, um, it's, it, it's kind of strange, right, this entire game week. You know, they're flying out to L.A. tomorrow. I think that's going to have some effect on this game, and that's why I also think the spread's kind of low on that game. I mean, LSU's only two-and-a-half, three-point favorite. Um, so I think LSU with Max Johnson is going to kind of – is going to eke this one out. And I think the world is going to see that UCLA wasn't just, you know, okay, playing against a bad Hawaii team. But I think there is some – I think there is some credence to what Chip Kelly's building there. But I've got LSU in a close one. I am right with you on basically all those points. Chip Kelly with a running game is a different coach, like like most of us would be if we had that security blanket. I, I love what they wanted to do against Hawaii, and I loved how they executed uh, against Hawaii. And it's multiple backs. Uh, I think getting Michigan transfer Zach Charbonnet really kind of solidified the skill talent of that UCLA offense. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is a good quarterback who, who has an NFL arm. So we'll see if he can put together the rest. And, and this game against LSU would, would bode well for that. They've got an All-American tight end. The game's in LA. And like you said, LSU is dealing with a lot. And we all remember what happened last year in that opener where nobody was really worried about LSU and <laughs> Starkville's villains come in. And, and light him up and make K.J. Costello look like he's a Heisman candidate. <laughs> so um, that LSU secondary is very good, and they will not be as bad as they were week one 2020. But I do have question marks with that front seven. And again, we talked about UCLA running the football. The time zone will be in effect. And there is still a lack of trust for me with this LSU offense. I love the receivers. They've got youth ex experience, a nice blend there, a ton of speed, as you would imagine. But they hadn't recruited too well on the offensive line. The running game is a question mark, which should never be true at LSU. And to me, the quarterback situation is still not 100% solidified. Not, not in that Max Johnson isn't the guy. Yeah, I think he is the guy. But in terms of what, what that projects like over an entire season – I'm not sure what that looks like relative to what we expect from LSU. So I could easily imagine a slow start for the Tigers where the Bruins are, are kind of up seven to 10 points for the majority of the game. LSU refocuses at halftime and then we kind of see what happens. There's no doubt who has the, the most talent, but there's also no doubt who has the most pressure and, and the most um, circumstance to overcome in this game. So I'm right with you, Tyler. I think LSU probably wins it, but it is absolutely close. I think the spread is, is basically a pick em in this game. It's one of those where I could see LSU being the pick to win, but UCLA being the pick in Las Vegas. I think it could be that close. I think it could be, end up being the game of the day before we get to, uh, you know, Clemson, Georgia. Yeah. And it, you, I, you bring a good point about the running game. There's just last year, there was a little bit of it too, but, because you just lost Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Who, the, who's their guy? Who's the guy? I mean, John Emery Jr., Davis Price. Uh, I know Emery, last I heard, was a little banged up, but there's my point is, is there's not many years when we're looking at an LSU team and we're not when we're saying there's not a bell cow, right? 
because LSU is known for having those heavy hitters behind those that big offensive line. And so we'll see who rises to the occasion. I mean, they've got some youth in there too. I mean, Armani Goodwin, um, you know, a guy who's a local guy from the state of Alabama, um, but he's he's probably not ready for a big load or anything like that. Um, so we'll see. Either John Emery Jr. or, or Tyron Davis Price. Um, but yeah, that's a big question mark for me as well. Um, but I think too, their defense is going to be a lot better because you have nowhere pretty much to go outside of up and what they were last year. Now, there's still going to be probably some some blown coverages, right? Some guys trying to get adjusted to kind of the way things are going back from how Polini ran things. Um, but it's not going to be because, you know, the talent's not there or anything like that. Um, it's going to be because, you know, you're, when you're facing against Chip Kelly, who's really creative, who can really confuse you, um, I think there's going to be some blown coverages. Um, but again, you know, this is a game that it's going to be a nail biter. And it's one of those kind of games on here that looks like it's going to be underrated, right? When you look at the rest of the slate, but when you look at the SEC teams, I mean, this one really does have the billing to be one of the best of the weekend. Moving over to Clemson and Georgia, this game to me, John, I'm going to be honest with you. It's lost a little bit of its luster. And, and I, I was big on Georgia heading in the preseason and even, even, even a couple weeks ago, but Eric Gilbert won't be there. Darnell Washington won't be there. I'm worried about the weapons that JT Daniels is going to have. I know Karis Jackson's still there, and they've still got some, some young guys and some guys bouncing back from injury from last year. And they're and this, this Todd Munkin offense is going to be good. I really do believe that. But when you look at Clemson and, and their defense, and Georgia might have the best defensive line. These, these are probably the two best defensive lines in the country. Um, you know, they're going to be – that's going to – they're going to equal each other out there. But – um, I look at this, I'm thinking, man, you know, Clemson, anything minus, anything less than a field goal. I mean, I, I've got Clemson in this game um, just because, you know, with DJ, uh, you know, you know what you're getting with him really. And you know what you're getting JT Daniels too. But I think DJ, you know, being in a situation last year where he started a big game against Notre Dame, that's going to help now in this kind of situation. When JT, when he got in there, right, I mean, you played Mississippi State, Missouri, um, you played that game against Cincinnati. Uh, George had a lot of guys opt out of that game. My point is, going into from the preseason until now to the lead-up of the game, I'm all over Clemson right now. Look, I think you're 100% valid on the luster being lost from the Georgia perspective, especially on offense, right? Losing so many talented pass catchers really dampers the expectations but you also acknowledge Todd Bonkin and the creativity now that we know this is the JT Daniels show and I think that is where when you talk about the middle of the field so you're talking tight end running back slot receiver I actually really like what George is going to trot out on the football field I think James Cook is going to be the most underrated player in the SEC all year I think he is a star I think he is a slasher he's the guy I'm not going to say Percy Harvin, but I think he can have that type of role, kind of like what we saw Clyde Edwards Elaire do as a runner and a receiver. I think if Todd Munkin plays his cards right, there is not a Clemson linebacker who can hang with James Cook. I think you got to bring a defensive back out to deal with him. So again, now you're changing the entire box and the entire look for an experienced quarterback and always massive offensive line. And you've got a bit of a stable of running backs on your own right if you're UGA. So I do think there could be some advantages in the middle of the field. Like you said, both of these D-lines are absolutely alpha-driven. Uh, so I don't expect a ton of yardage. But in terms of keeping a defense honest, I do think Georgia is going to have some advantages. And then conversely, 
with Clemson, um, yes, we know what we're getting with Yui Angalale. Um, big, powerful in every sense of the word, whether it's the arm, whether it's the running ability. But replacing Travis Etienne will not be easy. How healthy is, is Justin Ross? I, I've heard he is very healthy and ready to go, but they mm-hmm. eased him in pretty slowly. It kind of goes back to what I said about Miami using De'Eric King. Is he going to play his full load or at some point do you kind of back off? Because that Georgia defense across the board is exciting. I think if if Bama wasn't returning the combination of of linebacker experience that they did and then adding Henry T to it, we'd be talking about Georgia or Texas A&M as the best defense in the SEC. So I do think that unit physically, like Notre Dame did, can slow down so to me, this game goes back to the Georgia offense, Monken and Daniels and Cook. Those three, how in sync they are. I actually like Georgia to pull out the win, especially being early season on a neutral field. I think in Death Valley, I'd roll with Clemson. Uh, but on a neutral field, I, I'm going to give it to the Georgia Bulldogs. I think they've got a different energy this year. And I think there's still questions to be answered from Clemson's camp in terms of replacing what it lost, uh, not only with ETN and those receivers, but I also still think at quarterback, there's still a lot to to be questioned there. And their offensive line doesn't, doesn't reload the way we see Alabama, Georgia, and some of these in Notre Dame, some of these other programs. So I do think there could be a little bit more vulnerability with that Clemson offensive line uh, compared to, to what UGA's front seven will look like, because that's going to be one of the better groups uh, in the country. So I think that's the matchup that I'm, I'm most curious about, um, you know, Georgia in the middle of the field on offense, and then Clemson's ability to slow down that UGA front. And I think both of those could break Georgia's way, which in a game where the talent is so close, the stakes are so high, the experience is relatively similar. I think those are the little margins where a difference can be made. But of course we could see it going either way. I'll just, I'm going to roll with Georgia. I've got the ACC out of the playoff. I'm like you, I think Clemson's a tad down and I think North Carolina's a tad overhyped. So I've got the ACC out of the playoff. My playoff on SI today that that actually came out today, predictions had Oklahoma, Oregon in there with Alabama and Ohio State. So I got to stick to to my written predictions and think the ACC is going to take a little step back here. And for me, that means week one loss for Clemson. Yeah, and to, you know, from Dabo on, uh, on Tuesday, talking about how they still haven't figured out the center position. And you're gonna put different, you're gonna put different guys in there. Well, going, to, I mean, okay, you're throwing up your, your second string in there. He's going against Jordan Davis. I, I mean, you just there's just no room for error in these kind of games and these kind of situations. Because I'm gonna be honest with you, if Georgia was to lose this game, they could still make the playoff, right? I, I, they could obviously go undefeated. I mean, with their they've got a weaker SEC schedule. I mean, they do get Vandy, they do get South Carolina. Their cross division games in the West is is Auburn and Arkansas. So Georgia gets a little bit of a benefit there. So if they somehow lost, um, you know, they would have the benefit of having that, that SEC schedule that's that's actually, you know, really been beneficial. But then if Clemson loses, you know, I'm looking at it, John, and a lot of people are saying that, okay, they still got a shot to get in. I don't see a path for Clemson into the playoff if they lose this game. I, I just don't. I mean, you look at their schedule, I mean – they're not going to play uh, Miami or North Carolina until an ACC championship game. Is that what's going to put you over the top by the with the committee? 
I don't think so. You don't, I mean, you don't have Notre Dame on there again this year. So what's going to put you in the playoff? I just don't see that. I think this game means way more to Clemson, which is why I think uh, Dabo um, kind of wins the coaching advantage over Kirby Smart. I would take Dabo over Kirby as well on the field, you know, coaching, uh, maybe not elsewhere, but yeah, I, I, that's a very good point. I think that's, um, that's really valid because the, both of these teams schedule after Saturday lightens up a very good bit until they get to theoretically their conference title game. So, yeah, I, I just think there's a lot there. Um, the, the playoff at four always makes early seasons interesting, early season games interesting. Um, but, I mean, there's nobody on Oklahoma's schedule that scares you. Iowa State should. People, I mean, there's some Wisconsin hype. Um, it's The Big Ten's going to be boring, I think. Um, and I think, I think there's going to be more drama in the PAC 12 than the ACC. But I, again, I think the ACC is down at the top and that second tier is good. When you get to like Miami, I think Boston college is kind of a sleeper. I, I like the quarterback. They return their entire offensive line and wide receiver one. I think BC is a bit of a sleeper. I think the second tier of the ACC kind of shuffles it up a little bit yeah. in that conference, whether it's in the regular season or in the title game so um yeah i'm i'm thinking this game has a, a lot going on and uh it could it could really go either way but you're right these schedules after game one for these two really trickle down so maximum effort all of that should should really be on 10 uh the entire night up in uh, in charlotte i believe that game is yep so um so that'll be fun of course clemson right around the corner from charlotte but kind of uga is what three and a half hours so not too bad oh, yeah. it's, i mean it's going to be probably about as close to 50 50 split in Bank of America Stadium, as you can get. And, and I, I do like the Oregon pick. I did see that on SI. I think Oregon, USC, they're headed for a real good battle in the Pac-12 between those two teams. Uh, lastly, John, before we get you out of here, those are really the three big SEC games involving SEC teams. Outside of those three, what SEC team are you most excited to see in 2021? It's got to be Texas A&M. Um, Everybody in College Station is kind of on alert right now, not only because there's transition and question marks at the position that's supposed to be the most reliable under Jimbo Fisher, which is quarterback. Uh, I was a little surprised Haynes King won that battle, actually. Um, but there's an alert because of that. There's an alert because of Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC. Um, and there's an alert because this AM defense is absolutely loaded at every level uh that front is scary they do not have to blitz to bother you uh so so i would i'm an old school and there's a lot of old school on that AM team whether it's the entire defense isaiah spiller is my favorite running back in the sec big powerful run behind your pads kind of knock you out type guy would love to see him and, and christian harris in the whole all game uh in, in a few weeks that's the team I really want to see because I'm very curious about Fisher's evaluation at the quarterback position, which is not something we always say, but did Kellen Mond develop the way some of the FSU quarterbacks developed under Fisher? We all remember that three-year span where it was first rounder, first rounder, first rounder. Uh, well, all those guys kind of flopped at one point. Uh, James Winston did bounce back. Shout out to him. Uh, Bessemer native to, for, for winning the Saints job. But um, Jimbo Fisher is known as a quarterback guy. 
we see all those cut scenes of him yelling at his quarterbacks and it's like, oh, he's coaching them up. And, and he gets that benefit of the doubt, but has he earned that over the last five years? I, I'm not sure he has. And this decision could make or break the entire season. So um, from a drama perspective, if we're going to binge watch a show, I'm binge watching AM and all, all of 2021. But uh, elsewhere in the SEC, obviously Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, Corral, Jerry and Ely, that's going to be fireworks. I mean, that game against Louisville is going to be about 100 to 99. <laughs> so that'll be fun. I think old school Big 12 and Pac-12 fans will enjoy Ole Miss this year. And, and that's, a, that's a team to avoid if you're a betting man or woman. Um, but they'll be fun to watch from an offensive perspective, no doubt. But uh, yeah, my, my eyes are glued to AM in the early season leading up to that game against Bama. And my goodness, Bama's front half of the schedule. Miami, Florida, and AM in in what Ole a seven. Miss. And Ole, Ole Miss. Miss. The week before AM is Ole Miss. I mean, it's a lot to deal with. If if Bama is unscathed come what, November 1st, um, this thing's gonna actually feel downhill for the Crimson Tide, which is very scary for the rest of the college football world. Cause yeah. Anything downhill with Alabama is is not appetizing for the fan rooting for, for the little guy. So um, yeah, what what an early season for Alabama. We expect them to overcome it. I've got them in the playoff, winning the national championship. Probably not undefeated, but we all know if there's any team that deserves and earned that benefit of the doubt with a loss or maybe two, which is rare, it's going to be Alabama uh, because because that back half of the season I, I expect. Very, very, very dominant play. I'm glad you mentioned A&M, though, as your team that you're interested to see. And because if you think about it, John, uh, with Haynes King, you know, you announced him a couple days ago. And then on Tuesday night, reports break that Jimbo gets another extension until 2030. And so you're hitching your wagon to a guy, Haynes King, who, you know, maybe, maybe Zach Calzada, maybe he has the better arm. Maybe, you know, he has the more intangibles but you're going with a kid who may be the most athletic. And if this decision doesn't pan out, man, is A&M scratching their head at the end of this year going, we, we, we got this guy until 2030? You just don't know. And that's what makes it so intriguing. And their schedule, my Lord, until they play Alabama on October 9th, Kent State, Colorado, New Mexico, <laughs> Arkansas, Mississippi State. A&M better be 5-0 and when Alabama rolls to College Station because if they're not, that would be an utter disaster. Yeah, I think college game day is an absolute lock to be up in College Station. And yeah, as you mentioned, the, the extension with Jimbo and the timeliness of naming King the guy, very, very interesting. And we know Jimbo is not afraid to, to roll the dice behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I thought Calzada was, was going to win the more accurate quarterback. Uh, but, you know, Haynes King, son of a coach, Texas kid, Calzada isn't. You know, you wonder, you just wonder with A&M, you know, what is going on? Just overall, AD, coach, president, boosters, scheduling, SEC, the whole thing. I think AM is the best 30 for 30 uh, this year already. And, yeah. and obviously, there are a lot of chapters to be made. And especially with Texas on the heels of joining the SEC, that's just another dynamic because if you get this wrong and you set your program back, even though you have a couple of years ahead of Texas being in this conference, I mean, we all know one, just a few coaching errors or miscues is going to set you back for the long haul and it's going to allow teams like an Oklahoma or like a Texas when they join in this league really get one up on you but John thanks so much for coming on here man 
previewing Alabama, Miami, and so many other great storylines for week one. I'm glad it's here. We're going to have you on for d- different, uh, you know, different storylines in recruiting, obviously, throughout the year as that begins to kind of pick back up. Um, as me and you have talked about at length, you know, it's kind of slow right now. Alabama's sitting with 14 commitments, um, but, you know, senior seasons are just getting going. So we appreciate you taking some time to get out here. I know you actually just announced um, a, a podcast you're doing. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get you out of here. Yeah, a lot of what we kind of talked about today, Tyler. It's called the Next Up Podcast. It's going to be real casual, low-key, kind of hanging out, having fun, talking ball at every level. I think that's what makes it unique. We will go from recruiting to college football to bets to, to the NFL when it gets to that point. So a really all-encompassing football-driven audience interaction driven podcast once a week it's already on spotify so uh check it out on twitter at uh, next up underscore pod uh or on my twitter as well we just made the announcement so appreciate you uh let me shout it out yeah and and listeners you can always find john stuff at silamerican.com at john garcia jr on twitter um he is the guru for sports illustrated recruiting he is the guy who's got the intel and everything you need to know there Um, Well, that's been another edition of the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all Crimson Tide news and information. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe. Thank you for listening.